You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 88. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. While the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Father, would you begin today with some context for us as we find ourselves in Matthew 16 today? Yes, of course, and to do that, uh, let's go back a bit, clear back actually to chapter 13. Okay, sure. So what's of interest in chapter 13 that relates to today's reading in chapter 16? In chapter 13, you have the center point of Matthew's gospel, and you have what is arguably the most important parable, the parable of the sower, or really, I like to refer to it as the parable of the seed, followed by many other parables. Now, Father, I've heard you refer to the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seed, as the most important parable. And so now you've also introduced the notion that we should think of it as the parable of the seed. So maybe let's look at these two uh, things really quickly. Would you begin by explaining why you like to refer to it as the parable of the seed? Yeah, and, and to be clear, Jesus himself, in his explanation of the parable, refers to it, refers to that parable as the parable of the sower. So obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with calling it that. I'm not saying that by any means. But I also like to refer to it as the parable of the seed because we need to understand the importance of the seed. Many people, in hearing this parable, think about the sower and also even tend to focus on the different types of soil. And my point is that what Jesus is highlighting in this parable is actually the seed and how we should be sowers of the seed regardless of the soil. So to put it differently, I would say that you can go and recruit all of the sowers that you can find in the entire universe, but unless they have a seed to plant, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. So the sower cannot make something out of nothing. They require the seed, and the seed then is of primary importance. And of course, in the explanation of the parable that Jesus provides, he notes that the seed is the word of the kingdom, or in other words, his gospel message. And unless we have that seed, unless we have that gospel message, then there's no chance we're going to produce a plant or a healthy spiritual community as Jesus was establishing. Good, good. I appreciate the explanation. Now, in terms of what you say, uh, this is uh, arguably the most important parable. Why do you say that? It's the only parable in any of the Gospels that Jesus takes time to explain. So, obviously, he wants to be absolutely sure his disciples understand this parable. And then, what is the the gist of that parable? What is its teaching? Yeah, Jesus is teaching his disciples that he is giving them his Gospel, the Word of the Kingdom, the seed. And they are to be sowing that seed, spreading his message. And Jesus is telling them in advance to recognize that the seed will not always grow. 
because sometimes the seed doesn't take root or the wind blows it away or what have you. But you as the sower, you don't know where the good land is, so you have to throw the seed everywhere. That way, where there is good soil, meaning people who will be receptive to the, uh, to the gospel message, they will receive that seed. But again, without the seed, there's nothing. You can have incredible fertile soil, but if no one plants a seed, then it's wasted. So in some, Jesus is saying to his disciples, go out and teach and preach the gospel message to everyone, and many will reject it or ignore it or will falter, but don't worry, because some will receive it well, and then when that happens, it'll produce great fruit. Okay, so again, this was chapter 13, this parable of the sower, and then many other parables. How does this connect to chapter 16 that we read today? Okay, so you have Jesus teaching the disciples to go out to everyone, meaning to both Jew and Gentile. And then chapter 13 ends with Jesus being rejected in his own town, Nazareth. Then chapter 14 begins with John the Baptist being beheaded. So Jesus is rejected by his own people, as I said, in Nazareth. Then Jesus' forerunner, the Baptist, is rejected. After that, again in chapter 14, you have the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. And this is not our reading for today, so I don't want to get too sidetracked. And I ask our listeners to understand that we can cover this more in depth, God willing, someday. But just trust me on this one right now. This number five is symbolic of the Jewish scriptural community. The number five being the number of the so-called books of Moses, as they're often referred to, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I'll talk about this again in a minute in the context of the later feeding of the 4,000. But then chapter 14 ends with... Jesus doing incredible things after this feeding, walking on water, healing those who touch him. Then chapter 15 begins with Jesus critiquing the Pharisees and the scribes because they're so worried about the externals. They're concerned with the outward legal requirements of the law, whereas Jesus was more concerned with the inner person. He was more interested in how we interact with one another and not so much about our external actions in worshiping God. And then next in chapter 15, Jesus heals the daughter of a Gentile woman. And note how Jesus says in this healing that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But then the Gentile woman responds by referring to herself as a dog, meaning a ritually impure animal, ritually impure person, and saying that she doesn't even want the bread, but just the crumbs that fall from the table. And this is a way of expressing that the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant community does not take anything away from the Jews. It's, you know, Jason, like having your second child. Again, you had twins first, so it may be a different experience for you. But for me, having a second child doesn't mean that you love your first child any less. And so this is what the Gentile woman was stressing. And what happens then after this healing of the Gentile woman's daughter? Well, it's like... It opened the floodgates of Jesus' healings. He then begins to heal the multitude. And anytime you hear this in the gospel, this word crowd or multitude, it's referring likely to both Jews and Gentiles, and most certainly to then ritually impure Jews, as well as to the Gentiles, meaning that Jesus is reconciling them also to God. And we hear this portrayed in Matthew 15:31, speaking of the multitude. Uh, Matthew tells us, and they glorified, they being the crowd, they glorified the God of Israel. 
And then chapter 14 concludes with the feeding of the 4,000, correct? Yeah, and this gets us back to the feeding of the 5,000. What I mentioned earlier about five often being a biblical number used to speak of the scriptural books or the scriptural people of God. So we had the feeding of the 5,000 prior to Jesus healing the Gentile woman's daughter and then Jesus healing the ritually impure multitudes of Jews and Gentiles. And so then Matthew tells us of the feeding of the 4,000. And four is a universal number. You have the so-called four corners of the earth in the ancient world. It's representative of the entire earth. And so this feeding of the 4,000, as it's progressed along with Jesus' ministry, beginning in his own country, going out to Judea, then going beyond to the Gentiles, culminating in this feeding of the 4,000, to the openness of Christ's kingdom to all people. And that brings us then to today's reading. You read it at the beginning of the show, chapter 16, and the scribes and Pharisees seeking a sign, and Jesus telling them they would only have the sign of Jonah. Thanks for that background and for getting us into today's reading. And it leads nicely into the main question that I had. In verses 3 and 4 of the 16th chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Father, would you explain what Jesus means when he says uh, the signs of the times and the sign of Jonah? What is it that he's driving at here? First of all, let's just call out how silly it was for the scribes and Pharisees to be asking Jesus for a sign, right? I mean, Jesus had fed the 5,000. He healed a Gentile woman's daughter by his mere word alone, had healed multitudes of blind and lame and maimed, and then just fed the 4,000. So it's, it's obviously incredibly ironic that amidst that, the scribes and Pharisees still ask for a sign. But beyond that, Jesus is really pointing to two things when he mentions uh, that the only sign they would receive would be the sign of Jonah. And what are those two things that you'd like to highlight? The first and most obvious is that Jesus is referring to his death and then his third day resurrection. And he references Jonah here because Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the whale. And so Jesus is alluding to that as a sign of his own journey, his own death and burial, being consumed into the mouth of the earth, so to speak, like Jonah was consumed in the belly of the sea monster. But then also to Jesus rising from the dead, erupting back out of the earth just as Jonah was spit out from the whale onto the dry land. And people often understand that illusion. But we need to remember the second part also. Jonah erupted from the whale for a purpose. And that purpose was to preach God's message of repentance and salvation to the Gentile Ninevites. To preach God's message to a people that he, Jonah, despised to a people who were essentially his enemy. And so Jesus is using Jonah not only as a sign of his death and resurrection, but as a sign that he will rise triumphantly taking his message not only to his fellow Jews, but to their enemies, the Gentile Romans, the ones who were occupying their land, and beyond that to all people. His disciples would go forth and throw the seed of Christ's gospel all over the soil of the inhabited world, meaning they would do their best to spread his message everywhere. Last uh, quick question, Father. Are there any applications for us today from today's reading? Yeah, absolutely. As inheritors of Jesus' message, it's incumbent on us to share his message with others, and it's incumbent on us to love our enemies, to desire their salvation and reconciliation with God to bring his message to them as well. And as Christians, we should never vilify 
a group of people, a nation, a tribe, a tongue, any group of people as being beyond redemption, we should recognize that sharing God's love with them takes nothing away from us. The fact that God loves them does not mean he loves us any less. We're not to be an exclusive elitist club. We're to be a welcoming and open community spreading Christ's message of love and reconciliation to all. Thank you, Father. We began our discussion today by reviewing the events of the three previous chapters of Matthew to help us better understand the context of today's reading. Father Aaron briefly reminded us of the stories and events that took place beginning in chapter 13, including the parable of the sower, which Father argued is the most important parable found in Scripture. We then discussed why he prefers to call this parable the parable of the seed. In doing so, the importance of the seed in the story is stressed rather than the sower. For the work of the sower is in vain if they do not have the seed to plant. Without that seed, which is the gospel message, there would be no chance to produce a plant. And Jesus stresses that not all the seed will take root, and many will reject it, but some will receive it and produce great fruit, and that it is our responsibility to spread the gospel message to everyone. Father then recounted the many miracles of Jesus, including his walking on water, the many healings he performed, and the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And so it is all the more absurd for the scribes and Pharisees to ask Jesus for a sign in today's reading, having already witnessed many of his miracles. Jesus responds to their unbelief by telling them that no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Here Jesus is referring to his death and third day resurrection. And like Jonah who came forth from the whale to preach God's message of repentance and salvation to his enemies, so too will Christ rise triumphantly taking his message to Jew and Gentile alike and will call his disciples to go forth and spread the gospel over all the world. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia.